ASI. That stands for Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Russ Shaw. This is episode 8 of season 5. Set exercise goals. Exercise as close to six days a week as possible so that you can feel better. The research says people that exercise are less depressed. You get uh, you get endorphins at the excitement center of your brain, the medius preoptic neuron. It reduces your perceived need to get those same endorphins through acting out behaviors. I'm going to break my, going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break, I'm going to break my, going to break my rusty cage and run. Yes, that is Jason Graves of HealingForTheSoul.org out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Jason uh, considers himself a sexual integrity specialist and has a ministry counseling uh, therapy resource there in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Christian counseling and coaching. He also uh, treats pastors as well. Jason was also involved in another podcast called the Blazing Grace Podcast that is still uh, up on iTunes if you'd like to check that out. Also, the website for this podcast is asi247.org. At the website, there is a place you can give donations to help keep this thing going become a co-producer give uh, monthly if you could that would be awesome there's a gofundme page that's still going trying to raise fifteen hundred dollars to help keep asi rolling down the information superhighway i'm actually creating legal parameters around asi and uh, doing some books self-publishing as well um so if anybody if this podcast has helped or touched you in any way uh, I pray that you would check that out and help support the mission that is the Attitudes of Sexual Integrity podcast Uh, thank you so much by the way for that again ASI247.org check it out also there's another website Uh, there's another podcast actually there's not another website there's too many websites They're, they're all over the place these websites um the other podcast is ASI Shortcuts, which is on iTunes, uh, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn. If you want to check that out, I believe it's on TuneIn. It might not be. But I know it's on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you'd like to be the first to leave a review about that podcast, it's starting to gain uh, popularity up in the keyword porn addiction uh, charts, so to speak, on iTunes. Uh, but anything that you could do to rate that podcast, if you like it, if you've heard it, um, again, I would be so grateful. Thank you so much for for uh, any folks, just for listening and for being a part of looking for solutions rather than groveling and just, you know, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to write this show is listened to by people who are have hope, right? They're looking for hope and haven't given up or are just pointing fingers out at the dirty culture and oh, with all the porn out there and the sex everywhere, like there's nothing we can do. What? Why should I even try? Well, try, right? Because heart change happens 
and um, myself and some other listeners out here, they're living proof of that. Um, Not only that, but this journey of sexual integrity, this pilgrimage, as my friend Seth Taylor would call it, is... It's beautiful. It will enhance your life. Speaking of Seth Taylor, I'm going to have him on the next podcast once again. Um, he's talking about some of the stuff he's doing with Triple X Church and an approach for women who struggle as well. Um, Craig has some stuff going on called Recover with Relationships over there at Triple X Church as well, if you want to check that out. But that will be episode nine. Uh, Seth Taylor will be on once again. So subscribe if you're not subscribed because uh, it's going to be awesome. Today on my conversation with Jason Graves, also on the website, Jason treats uh, unwanted same-sex attraction, which is part of his story as well. And when a Christian brings up this topic, my defenses go up a little bit, right? Because I just know, living in the Seattle area, having friends uh, from the LGBTQ community, um, this can stir up a lot of anger, fear, um, resentment even towards the Christian community because Western Christians, especially here in the United States, have not done a good job of loving um, our gay, lesbian, bi uh, neighbors, right? Transgendered. This is, this is a point of... Uh, it is a place of tension, and we get into some of that in this conversation. Because, let's face it, traditionally there's been this attitude of self-righteous indignation towards the gay community. And listen, these are not just people who are out there, right? These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the result is other struggling, hurting human beings that also need some friends around them, some people that know their struggles, know their secrets, those folks don't feel safe around Christians. They can't, they, if, you, if you don't feel it, if you don't feel, I mean, you can try and it, it's difficult, right, to enter into community. But if you feel like everyone's is just constantly rejecting you, why would you want to? Church needs to be a safe, loving place for all people. And yes, the sad reality of that is that you need to be discerning about where you can actually referring to people who would consider themselves in the LGBT or Q community, that they, specifically they, um, live and share their reality of their lives and their struggles and their day-to-day. I mean, the Christian community traditionally has not been a safe place for them. So that's a big part of my heart as well, that we would love all people equally, much like the uh, we had the Pride uh, event here in the Seattle area. For my job, I do Uber and Lyft full-time, and I had a, a couple, a gay couple in the car, and they were telling me, they had the, the little flags, and I go, hey, it's the gay Pride flag, right? And they said, well, yeah, but it's not, it's just the flag Right. They said the flag represents all these colors represent unity in diversity. And I thought that was pretty beautiful. Um, So we get into it here with uh, Jason Graves on the podcast today. Here you go. Yesterday.
Jason Graves, welcome to the ASI podcast. You're, you're from this area, from the rainy Northwest. Uh, you are a clinician. You help folks with uh, sexual addiction issues, people with uh, compulsive sexual behavior. And I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show, man. Uh, healingforthesoul.org is the name of the website, right? Right. And go Seahawks. Uh, that's right. One thing that's good about the Pacific Northwest is you can see a great ball game through the clouds and fog. So that's right. Amen to that. Right. So uh, tell me something about your personal life. Besides being a clinician uh, over there, are you family married? Yeah, Susan and I will be celebrating 14 years in uh, November, and okay. um, and three of them have been good. So, oh, well, I have, I have um, three kids. I have two biological kids, and and then someone that's a, like a spiritual son to me. Um, my daughters are um, nine and six, and then you know my son is twenty. And so, I you know we live in Colorado Springs, and yeah, I am a I am a, a therapist, and I also do pastoral coaching. Okay. You know, and I, and I love like triathlon and uh, I love Seattle Seahawks football. <laughs> yeah, right on from the old, uh, the old hometown. That's right. So, you know, everyone I've had on the show, who's a clinician, I'm always intrigued at why they get into that business, right? Like there's always, you have a story. There's always some kind of damage rolling around in the back of someone who seeks this kind of profession as a, as a healer, so to speak. And being from the Christian side, that's going to stir up some, you know, some animosity among some listeners, which yeah. I totally get. Yeah. Uh, so explain some of that a little bit. First of all, let's go back to the spiritual son because that's, that's still rolling around back in here somewhere. Um, as, as a Christian guy, is, is this adopted uh, son? or? Yeah, um, not in the legal sense, but okay. I always wanted a son. And when we were um, trying for our second, actually a year before we were trying, um, God told me, um, you're going to have a son. Okay. Well, I just, of course, thought that meant, you know, our next kid was going to be a boy. But, um, and when we tried for Isabella, we tried um, everything that you can do naturally to have a boy. There's some things you can do through diet and things like that. And, uh, but when she came out a girl, uh, you know, needless to say, I was a little surprised. And then I had to kind of start to grieve because we, we didn't want to have any more kids naturally. Right not having a son, which I, I never imagined life without a son. And, and so, um, you know, I, I met um, Seth and, uh, you know, just felt like hand in glove. You know, people would even ask, you know, is that, is that your son? And, um, you know, soon um, he was going into boot camp and, you know, I, and I went to just see him and give him kind of a, a, a good send off and have a guy's weekend. And, and, when I said goodbye and I called my wife and kids and told them how everything went and hung up, uh, man, I just, I cried like I hadn't cried for 25 years. Like I, I remember driving down 405 through Renton S curves when I was like 20. Uh, uh -huh. and, and it was, it was like that. And I, I'm like, Lord, why is this so heavy? You know? And he's like, Hey, this is, 
this is the spiritual son I've been trying to give you, but you've been resisting me. Because whenever people would say, well, maybe he meant you're going to have a spiritual son, I would be like, nope, that's not what he meant. You know, like, just right. in denial. And he said, are you going to keep resisting me? Or are you just going to like receive this in faith and, and walk in it? And it just hit me, you know, I, would, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't give up my relationship with, with Seth for a, a biological son ever, you know, so. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. So he's how how is he in, in relationship to you? Is he like family or? No, no, we're totally biologically unrelated. I see. Yeah, okay. yeah, we met through you know mutual friends and and uh, yeah, God's just given me such a big heart for him, and and it's been such a blessing and a joy to be able to you know support him in in that way. You know, oh, that's cool. Very, yeah, he lives here then. He actually lives in California. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. Nice. So uh, that's that's awesome, man. So kind of like a like a father figure in his life, mentor sort of yeah. uh, being there for him. And yeah, that's great. I have a uh, my son had a friend who moved in with us for a while. His name's Travis, and had some trouble at home and issues with mom and dad and and mom and stepdad and and. So yeah, Travis just I don't know, lived with us for a while, and and I consider him a kind of a spiritual son as well. He actually uh, sent me like on Father's Day, he said he sent me like a, a kind of a greeting, like "Hey, Happy Father's Day." I just want to call and say Happy Father's Day because I consider you, you know, kind of a dad. And I'm like, yeah, I was really my heart, my little frozen heart was really warmed by that. <laughs> it was a bad day, and I was just all grumbly, you know, and I'm like, ah you know, life sucks. And it was just one of those days. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I told him that I said, thanks. That's awesome. it, really, it really brought me to this place of like, wow, you know, that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I had that kind of impact on his life. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I love the kid. He really, he really is a, a kind of a spiritual son to me. Right. What a blessing. But to your question, yeah. you know, there really shouldn't be any problem if, you know, for us as believers to, um, except uh the you know a clinician who has um a focus on helping people with psychological things because those things are not at odds the the psyche uh, was invented by god so the psyche is the, the greek word for the soul and so the soul contains the mind the heart uh and by extension the relational and so you know, I, I happen to be you know, an ordained minister and former institutional pastor. Uh, but God, people have to remember that God invented psychology. The, the psychology is simply the study of the psyche. Yeah. So it's just understanding, you know, how God made us unique and our temperaments and our personalities, how we're affected relationally. And so, um, yeah, the, the spiritual and the psychological are not at odds with each other. They might be at odds with each other in our culture, but yeah. in terms of, you know, uh, ideologically or, or experientially and, 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 and how we are as people, um, no, I mean, there's, there's you know, we are, we are created body, soul, and spirit, and we're called to be sanctified body, soul, spirit, according to first Thessalonians five twenty three, So if we neglect the soul or the body at the expense of, um, the, of the spirit, we're going to be in bad shape. And then it should be known is a lot of us have overemphasized 
the spiritual, particularly the vertical spiritual, at the detriment of the horizontal spiritual. Because yeah. really, this, this is the horizontal spiritual. You and me, we're the body of Christ. This is church. Okay, wherever two or more are gathered, there is he also. So we're, we are in the presence of God right now as as we speak and share around him. So. Yeah, yeah. So we, and you're right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think in, in the Christian realm, there seems to be, a lot of unhealthiness around trying to build walls and do like border patrol around what should and ought to be. And right. some people even go so far as not to seek help because right. they feel like, Oh, there's a psychology and this is the church and there's this and there's that. And there. you're right. There's really no difference. There's not, it's, it's all spirit. It's all truth. It's all in the same realm. Like God doesn't have a certain camp right? that's acceptable. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So um, one of the things that, that I, uh, I like about you and, and your story is, and I know a little bit of your story. So before I get ahead of myself, let's, let's take the listeners to maybe this rock bottom moment that you got to at some point throughout your life. That, something that may have brought you here mm-hmm. to being a clinician. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to doing this work as your profession. Um, right. Take the listeners to that play. I don't even really like that term, but it's, it's a term that, you know, where the reality of your life kind of met your faith, met, you know, the surface level. Um, it's like this dissonance between shame and guilt and everyone who's living in it. I heard uh, there was that post I read by a guy who's like, where is God? You know, and the NoFap site, kind of this just frustrated, I'm crying out to God, getting to that place. And I I was like, dude, that is a great place to start. Right. Um, right. Maybe take listeners to that place. Well, I mean, I think there's been several places and there's probably more to come, you know, because the day that we think we've arrived as a Christian is the day we start to go backwards. Right, exactly. But bring us to that that rock bottom of the first one, maybe the first yeah, yeah. case of ah, this right. is Yeah, I mean, I think when I was a teenager, and where our family was just falling apart, uh, you know, like we had had like so much like sexual abuse, you know, incest, and you know, physical abuse, uh, emotional neglect, emotional abuse, you name it, you know. Um, and when I had to come to terms with the fact that God loved me, even though I was a mess and that I had made mistakes and that it didn't matter if other people forgave me or not, that he forgave me. Right. That's where I felt like, oh, well, okay, then I, I think I can be okay. Um, and, you know, we, we actually started to um, go to family therapy and that's part of what got me into it is because my, our therapist here, I was like 15 or 16 and our therapist had a really cool, um, Harley and uh-huh. a really nice office. And so <laughs> okay. I thought, hmm, maybe I could do that. And so, right. but then fast forward to when I got married, I thought I was working on my issues, but I really wasn't. I was just up in my head. I was learning. Right. I wasn't really applying and, and doing that authentically and, and growing. And so when, and I think I had in the back of my mind that getting married would kind of take care of my issues. You know, even though I knew 
that that wasn't true. Like I had, I had that, I was on a level believing that. Yeah. So yeah, about 60 days into our, our, our marriage, I was just like, um, man, I've got a problem, you know, mm-hmm. and it's affecting my wife and we're only two months into it. I need to get help. And so that's right. started to go into a group and to actually get, you know, some support and, and to work on things and get accountability. So these were like pornography issues. Cause yeah, that's a, oh, yeah. a lot of listeners, you know, yeah, you think marriage is going to fix it. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's never, no, I've never heard the guy in a, testimony say yeah i got married and all my porn issues went away like that guy doesn't exist he's yeah. like the oompa loompa or right the well well we have a saying 98 to 99 percent of all men have masturbated the other one to two percent are what we call liars <laughs> That's right. and um, so they don't call it every man's battle for no good reason and so yeah i was just like everybody else i had all of those lust issues and then some and so yeah, I started to work on it. And then I think the third one has been just in the past year in a, in a positive sense, not so much hitting rock bottom, but really realizing that I've still got more growing to do, you know, and I have to get outside of my um, understanding of how things work. And I have to pay attention to the people who I see really growing and I have to do the things that they're doing. And 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 so I've started to do that, and it's been vulnerable, and it's gotten me out of my comfort zone. But like I want, I don't want to ever quit growing. I want to grow the rest of my life. You know, right. so, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and and that's good and healthy too. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think anybody ever really arrives. Right. Bring me to the place where, um, so one of the controversial things on your website, and we'll we'll go into this a little bit is helping folks with, uh, as you say, unwanted uh, sexual, right, uh, same-sex attraction right. issues. This is kind of a hot-button issue, especially in my city. There's a, there's a group that wants to make that, uh, you know, this kind of, uh, what, do you, what would you call it, uh, trying to fix gay people, right? Like, they want to make that illegal. Uh, they want to actually make, pass laws against it. Um, right has me thinking of Alan Chambers, uh, Exodus International, where these guys were, I mean, they just quit doing that kind of work and and actually apologized for it. Right. So what did you you think, I guess I'll ask that question, what did you think of the apology by by, uh, Alan Chambers and and some of these guys? Well, Uh, I don't don't know. Uh, For me, honestly, Russ, I, I used to be a board member for um, Exodus International. Oh, wow. We were an Exodus member affiliate, you know, and for many, many years. And I wasn't on the board when the board voted to, you know, close things. I had been off for a few years. But um, honestly, it, it really, to me, it really didn't mean much. Um, was it necessary to make some kind of an apology? Um, well, maybe I, you know, I, I think that certainly, um, apologies are best when they're personal, when they're in the context of a relationship. And so no way that, you know, Alan or anybody else or any institution, which is not a person in the first place can have a relationship with the people that they're intending to apologize to. 
And so I don't know how effective that would be, but is it good to, to acknowledge that, you know what, as the body of Christ as a whole, um, not that we're a monolith, have we fallen short in some areas in being kind to and listening to and understanding to people um, and, and people in the body, especially who, who, who deal with unwanted same-sex attractions? Yeah, absolutely we have. And we need to acknowledge that. And we need to um, be helpful and reconciling and reach out and show kindness. I mean, I went through that myself. You know, I was, I was uh, uh, on staff at um, Overlake um, right. in Redmond years, you know, and, and um, went through that same kind of experience where I just opened up and shared about my experience of having same-sex attractions, even though I wasn't acting on them. Right. That I just wanted to be forthright. You know, well, it was right on the heels of Bob Moorhead and all of his problems. Six months later, here I am going, hey, I deal with this too in my head, you know. Right. Uh, and just wanted Anytime to- Anytime you can't ask a question, there's a problem, right? Yeah, you right. You can't bring these things to the surface. Right. You have to keep that inside yourself. There's a problem. Right. And you know, I was very naive in doing that, but they, they basically um, put me on the shelf. It was sort of a, a CYA thing as I was interpreting it. And um, I felt very, you know, placated and, and, and that was disturbing. Honestly, um, if I was anybody else uh, in another day and time, maybe there would be like a lawsuit that would have happened out of that or something like that. It was completely unjust. But, you know, that's not my heart. Um, I, I have gone back since because this happened, oh, goodness, 17 years ago. Um, I went back and I, I, and I tried to bring this to their attention in a loving, um, helpful way. And, um, you know, that was you know, mildly um, redemptive, but it was good, good for my soul to, you know, try and be positive and redemptive about it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and as a result, you know, I don't know that there's ever been growth out of that situation. And, and I've seen some things, some other things happen that haven't been healthy and, and nor biblical. And so that's unfortunate. But, right. but getting back to your question, you know, yes, are some jurisdictions and, and states like Oregon banning therapy for minors who have same-sex attractions, yes, they're, they're banning it under the guise of, okay, y- you can't change somebody's sexuality. But, you know, honestly, that's not what we do anyways. All we do is we help people, like any therapy process, with something that they find discomforting or unacceptable in their life, according to their own worldview and according to their own personal goals. Right. So this is not really about changing somebody's sexuality at all. It's simply helping somebody bring their life experience related to their sexuality in line with their values and what they want. You know, for right. me, right. I can tell you it's not it's not really about change. I can't say that my uh, same-sex attractions have changed all that much over the years, but I don't care. They don't need to. Um, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he doesn't call me to change my same-sex attractions. He calls me to be obedient. And he calls me to be faithful in 
light of my same-sex attractions. Because when you think about it, not even Jesus got to choose his own temptations. So why would I think I would get to choose mine? So, you know, I, I let God love me right where I'm at, and I, I just try to be faithful in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I think- Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties in a, a measurable, significant way. Because, again, there's no relationship there. And right. if you're going to apologize for something, an apology is an explanation, but that's different from reconciliation. So in order to have reconciliation, you have to do something. So it's really not ever effective to just say, hey, I'm really sorry, and then close the doors and not do anything. So uh, I think something's really healing if you want to apologize for something is stick around and do something about it. But no, I mean, I think there's far more damage that was done than, uh, than anything really healing. So. Yeah, I think in my own experience of it, and I'm not a guy who's, so here's where I went in my own sexual compulsion. Mm-hmm. I think I went to a place where I, I, was, I was sexually abused by a male. Mm-hmm. So part of this was, you know, I, I don't know where that would have went. I was very heterosexual in my acting out, but I got to a place where I could have gone to same stuff, just same sex stuff. And I know that's a thing like there's straight men having gay sex. Like that's a, that's part of treating sexual addiction. Um, but I, you know, so I, I, am not, so I, I just understand the struggle, but in my tension, it's a lot different than someone who may have felt this since they were born kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So there's that tension that I think Christians as a whole, we've not been good at standing in that tension with people who struggle in in many different ways. Does that make sense? Right. Well, nobody feels this since they were born because um, you don't have a sexuality as a child. You know, a child, children are asexual. People can experience this like I can um, since they can remember, Mm -hmm. but um, Here's, I think it gets to some of the, the, the way we talk about these things. Um, first of all, there are no heterosexuals or homosexuals. There's only people that are sexual. All people are sexual. We're sexual beings. Right. We have sexual parts. We have a sex. We have a male sex or a female sex. We have a sexuality, and that can be very subjective because we're subjective human beings. So our sense of sexuality is, um, you know, can, can vary in according to your, you know, your perceptions and things like that. It's like LGBTQ. They're adding the Q on the end because the questioning part mm-hmm. is something that is, is very serious. And, and some folks that are in the Q area, you know, it's, it's so awkward. It's so hard to talk about. Right. Well, so, and I teach about this in the, um, the video series that we do called Biblical Sexuality and the 21st Century. And um, I have it around here somewhere. But, um, you know, but basically we, we, we just share how God made people. He didn't make right. heterosexuals or homosexuals. Those words weren't even really used in common language until the middle part of uh, the, the 20th century. So the, the middle part of... Um, last century was it used as an identity. Those words weren't even used ever until like the 1800s. Right. And 
find. We love to slap labels on things as Americans or or Western culture. It's right. And they're not even words. They're compound phrases. So if you take the prefix uh, of hetero and the prefix of homo, hetero means opposite. And, um, and, and, and homo means same. Well, if you boil the word sexuality biblically down to its irreducible meaning, it means male and female together in an intimate, physical, covenantal relationship. Um, so that is sexuality according to God's design. Okay. Well, um, if you boil it down to its irreducible minimum, that means differentness together. That's what sexuality is. So if you take the compound phrase, heterosexual, which that would then mean different, differentness together, that's a redundancy. It's a non-word. And conversely, homo or same, differentness together, is a contradiction. So really, I avoid those terms because they're confusing. And it gives a false, it's called a, a logical syllogism. It gives a, a false meaning but pretends like it is reality. When in reality, we're just people, we're male and female people that have asexuality. And whether we choose to use our sexuality in one way or the other, or we perceive it in one way or the other, doesn't change reality. Right. Well, I've, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, but being in groups, I've, I've been with people in groups who were sharing their soul, right? And, and feeling like this was a safe place. And they were talking about things like being very young and realizing that you're not like the rest of the boys. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, something happened when Philip showed up at the farm kind of thing, right? right. Like, I, I had different desires than some of my other friends and realizing this at, at ages of like eight years old. I heard another woman's story who she would consider herself trans. Now, she doesn't identify as trans as a woman in the Seattle area. I mean, living in Seattle, this is, this is recovery groups in Seattle. And it's not just sexual addiction recovery groups. It's alcohol, drugs. I mean, at Mars Hill, at Mars Hill, we did these things called the Thursday nights, race groups. Mm-hmm. Came in and there was a lot of this. So um, a woman talking about when she was like nine, wondering when her penis is going to grow in. Right. Right. Like there's something going on that's outside of biblical. And to be honest, that's <laughs> since the demise of Mars Hill church, that word to me a little bit, Jason is a little triggery. All right. Because people, from what I've noticed, there's people that love to use the word biblical as if there's some kind of standard for what is biblical and what is when really we're, I love what you said about relationship. Cause that's what this is. We're in a relationship with God. This yeah. book, you know, I got the Bible sitting right behind you here. Is this book is very, very relational. It is God's story, is God's love letter to me. Right. And I think when we reduce it to systems or ways that we should or ought to feel about the law, you know, it, it breaks down that tension, and then we start. I don't know. Isn't that kind of part of the, I'm asking the question, like, isn't yeah. that part of this tension is that we start building walls, right? So we start building these invisible, uh, you know, cause no one's going to tell you that they don't feel safe or comfortable around you. They're just going to walk away. There's going to be out. Yeah. We're seeing that across this nation and church attendance right now. Right. No, we have to love people right where they're at and accept them right where they're at. You know, that's what God does for us. 
Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, um, when I say biblical, I'm talking about an evidential standard or something that's apparent. If you just read the Bible, you won't find the word homosexual. You won't find the word heterosexual. And so um, you'll, you'll find the word homosexual as an adjective one time, but the word actually is uh, correctly translated as men who lay with men. So arsenikeo is the Greek word for that. And so, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, we have to own uh, our process and our own journey of where we're at with loving and accepting people. And we also have to own our own convictions. What we do too often is when somebody says something that we don't like or that scares us or that makes us feel convicted, we dismiss them and we run away from them rather than trying to um, understand, listen, uh, figure things out, uh, journey with that person that we perceive to be judgmental. Um, that's a very difficult thing to do. But Especially no, I, when you're, I mean, for my gay friends, I mean, just so many of them don't, they would, I have, I know a lot of gay folks that consider themselves Christian, but we don't go to church. Uh-huh. They used to, uh, that's another, right. The Mars Hill thing. Right. But it, it, just because they feel like they're the, the odd one out and that's really that shouldn't be in the, in the body of Christ, should it, Jason? What, what do well, you we, first of all, going to church is not the same as being the church. So just because, yeah, you know, you don't feel comfortable at a church service, well, very few people feel comfortable at a church service. So, you know, that's not where we need to be anyways. It's not that you can't go to a church service, but we need to be connecting with the body of Christ like this. And like seeking him by listening to his voice together and then sharing with each other what he gives us, whether it's a song or a prayer or a scripture or a word or a a picture or however you're gifted. We need to have meals together. So I talk about that in biblical sexuality and the 21st century as well, that the way to cross the sexual divide, if you want to call it that way, or to reach people in who are sexually suffering is to form relationships with them and seek the Lord with them. There's not many people that will turn you down if you offer to pray with them. Right. No matter where they're at. There's not many people that will turn you down if you offer to have them over for dinner and pray with them and listen to the Lord together and serve them. Let them borrow your truck. You know, if they're moving, uh, go help them move. Be there for them when there's a crisis and and be the one for them to call when it's 12 a.m. We have to sacrificially serve people, according to Dave Kinnaman, the president of the Barna Group, who wrote Unchristian, a fantastic book about how different uh, the body of Christ is viewed from, how differently they're viewed from the up-and-coming millennials who, who see us as um, judgmental, hypocritical, and anti-homosexual. Those are the top three negative views of the 13 views that they cataloged and examined. And it's staggering how much, like 72%, 83%, 92% consider us these things, anti-homosexual. Not that just we're, we're, we don't believe in that, but that we're against gay people, quote unquote. So the bottom line is that we have to serve people sacrificially 
if we want to be able to um, really take up real estate in their heart, you can't have uh, influence over somebody you don't have a relationship with. I would add that I'm willing to be in the tension with someone, whether they are quote unquote repentant or not. And I've seen the work of Christ in, in gay couples who have attended, not just attended church, right? But who have been in, like you're saying, that community. And I've seen their lives impacted and changed for the better. In one couple, it wasn't necessarily for the better, like their financial status really suffered because of it, but they lived much, it, it, just different, all right? I mean, they, yeah. the, the, the weight of the things that from before you know, with their, their new relationship, mm -hmm. um, just very, very different. So, yeah, that's part of this conversation. I don't want to get too hung up. I mean, we could talk for hours about, about this but yeah. I just think it's very, very important that I have listeners who are gay and whether they're gay or not gay or consider themselves or label themselves like that. I, I don't know. It's just, I'm glad they're listening. Yeah. Um, and this show, this podcast is about the, the unwanted stuff that's going on in your life. Right. Um, habits, compulsions. Right. Um, that kind of thing. And that's, that's part of what you, you do as well. Right, Jason? Oh, sure. I mean, with Healing for the Soul, we help people with uh, any sexual integrity issue. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, pornography or, you know, adultery or um, we've even helped people with just compulsive masturbation issues. Uh, and then same-sex attractions. You know, we help parents. We have a couple parents groups. Um, just like we have men's groups, we meet just like this over Zoom for the parents groups um, on a video conference. And then we do teleconference groups for the men's groups um, to help people with these issues. The parents, you know, are, are really working on their own issues and they may have gotten involved in therapy or coaching because they were concerned about a, a child with same sex attractions or who was, you know, openly gay identified. Um, but we help them to just do their own work and not focus on, making their kid out to be the problem, but rather just, you know, sort of like, why do you focus on the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye, you know, just right. your own work. And let's see what the Lord can do with that. Because when one person in a family grows, the whole family can grow and you can model something for your kid. But at the very least, when you love someone, your influence and you show them that love, well, your influence in their life can grow. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I hear horror stories of people who kick their kids out of the house for identifying as gay or bi. And right. Yeah. There's, there's whole religions of people here in the Seattle area even who have done this kind of thing. It's, I, know. I know it. It's tragic. I mean, the bottom line is God met us while we were still sinners. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes as believers, we're so afraid and we're so confused and unaware that we react in that fear and we reject instead mm -hmm. of drawing near. And I, I, let's face it. I mean, Romans eleven thirty two it says, for God has bound all men over to disobedience for a time that he may have mercy upon them all. 
So it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. God has allowed you to be bound over to this. And it's not forever. It's for a time. And it's not for no good reason. It's for, so he can have mercy on us. And it's not just for healing. It's for the sake of healing, right? Right, right. So we don't have to worry. Um, God can use these things. His grace is sufficient for us. We can, uh, you know, it says it's in his, it's in our weaknesses that his strength is made perfect. That's right. Yeah, it makes it so much easier to just love people where they're at and, uh, and be there for them sacrificially, not making it about our beliefs. Because when, when, you, when you start to go into your beliefs about things, you're really just making it about you. You're exactly. not being there for them. Um, a lot of times when Jesus met with people um, that were struggling in their stuff, um, the, he would ask them a question. He wouldn't just go, well, for it is written. Yeah. Most times he would ask them a question. Yeah. And, you know, because he's showing care, but he's, he's, he's asking them in a way that get, helps them to get in touch with their conviction. Exactly. This is something that I've struggled with too, Jason. It's, mm-hmm. Since even having this conversation, I'll get emails, you know, and in the past of the Exodus thing, yeah. I would get emails. So I get the question, right? And the question is this, like they want a yes or no answer. Like, yeah. okay, so, so, you know, are you affirming or non-affirming? Right. And I think about that question and I, I think about, okay, how would Jesus answer that? Right? Yeah. Like you're this liberal from Seattle. It's like, okay, um, I try to be liberal where Jesus is liberal and conservative where Jesus is conservative. It's like the more I follow Jesus, the more I'm, I piss off the liberal people and, and the conservative people. So yeah. That's a good space to be in, right? Um, so I always, I, 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 just told, I just said um, publicly on the show, you know what? I'm not going to answer that question for you, so stop asking it. If you want to ask me the question personally, we'll play out. Well, I would be curious, you know, in that that question, I would be asking, you know, I'd be really curious, like, well, what do you mean by affirming? And what do you mean by not affirming? Exactly. You know, those are are different questions, aren't they? Because I think there's something about the way we ask questions, because some of us can, how can you, how could you say that, Russ? Like, aren't you a Christian? See, those are, that's a question that's coming out of that outraged, sort of scared, right? It's called a projection. I mean, you're not really looking at your issues. You're just foisting it upon somebody else. And so usually when people ask questions that are loaded like that, it's because they haven't necessarily looked at the question and answered that for themselves honestly and objectively first. So it's messy because they're basically in doing that, in that process, they're asking you to do the work for them. So it's good to use some restraint like you're, you're doing. Good for you. And that's being also kind of addicted to systems as well. Mm. You know, so that's where, yeah. that's where I go back to that <laughs> biblical. You know, people use the word biblical. I'm like, oh, like there's yeah. a little bit of a trigger that goes out because yeah. there's some unconsciousness in that. Right. You know, go into consciousness and unconsciousness, like that kind of the – the monkey brain part of ourselves <laughs> reacts and goes, what? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. But, My son gay? I'm supposed to accept that? Like, yes. Yeah. yeah a yeah. lot of us have actually experienced real spiritual abuse. So yeah. those words can be a trigger for us. You know, like, I mean, I've, I've been around many denominations. And, you know, I already shared, you know, my story of being judged and kind of kicked to the curb. 
which thankfully God told me, don't get bitter about this. And I, and I, I've managed to never get bitter, even though I come from a long line of world championship grudge holders. And so, you know, like, yeah. And and God had, has used it. Thank God. But, um, but you know, like we have experienced spiritual abuse, you know, I, a dear friend of mine, um, you know, was told that he was, uh, you know, spiritually possessed or something because just cause he had same sex attractions. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just so, that's so, that's so not loving. It's so not accurate. It's not yeah. biblical. <laughs> yeah. so, you have a demon, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was told that too. Like, I probably have a demon by yeah. my religious family when I was showing up with my, my long hair and my yeah. 80s metal, you know, Metallica shirt and stuff. Yeah. Oh, Russ has got a demon. Yeah. The stand, <laughs> I just kind of checked it off like, oh, that's just bizarre right there. The Sandman demon has entered you. Enter Sandman, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Something like that. Something to that. And now you're the unforgiven. So, yeah. <laughs> Amen. I find a, you know, some of that music is just like the Psalms. I, I remember just feeling like it was so satanic and then listening to yeah. it later in life, listening to it in recovery even, just going, Oh yeah, you know that's what he was touching on. Right. Yeah. Which, really interesting stuff. Um, Jason, for yourself, uh, maybe name a, a, a discipline or like a muscle that's been built up, um, some strength that you've grown into over the years. Uh, not just doing this kind of work, but in your own personal life that you could share with listeners. Um, that's kind of helped you along the way in your journey. Yeah, thank you. Well, this is something that's really big for me and for my clients is our key verse is like a model um, is First Thessalonians 5.23. So be mm-hmm. sanctified body, soul, and spirit. So the body is both physical and physiological. So it's the way we look, the, the shape we're in, and how we function, both in, in our body and our brain is part of our body. Yeah. The soul, again, is the heart, so our feelings, the mind, so our thoughts, and the relational by extension. So then there's the spiritual, which, again, is, 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 is both horizontal, it's each other, the body of Christ, and vertical, so you and God. Mm-hmm. So we have to have balance amongst all these. And so, you know, for me, it's been really good for me and my clients to set exercise goals, Exercise as close to six days a week as possible so that you can feel better. The research says people that exercise are less depressed. You get, uh, you get endorphins at the excitement center of your brain, the medius preoptic neuron. It reduces your perceived need to get those same endorphins through acting out behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, physiologically, we have to look at our brain functioning. You go to our website and take a very simple self-assessment called the, the Amen Brain Systems Checklist at healingforthesoul.org. And it'll show you how your brain is functioning sort of from the outside in and what might be under-functioning or over-functioning that you can change and uh, improve naturally. Uh, So the soul, then, our heart, we have to care for ourselves in regularly sharing our feelings, Mm -hmm. be aware of our feelings. What's Not just I'm feeling fine. That's the Christian F word. Okay, it stands for (laughs) freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Okay, it's not... Feeling, it's an adjective, just like good. But am I I angry, scared, happy, excited, tender? Check in on a regular basis with yourself and with others. 
Um, then there's the mind. What am I thinking? What are my thoughts? You know, how can I shape those good um, biblical literature, like um, or parabiblical literature, like Healing the Masculine Soul by a great mentor of mine, Gordon Dalby, is fantastic. Or um, Addiction and Grace by Gerald May. Or This Is Your Brain on Joy by Dr. Earl Henslin are, are fantastic resources. I love uh, Reaching Out by Henry Nowen, who died mm-hmm. in Seattle, by the way. Um, and then, um, and then the relational, we have to connect relationally. We have to open up regularly and as a discipline and get real. And then spiritually, again, we got to connect with God, but usually what most people are neglecting is connecting spiritually around your gifts in a Christ centered way, uh, through what we call fellowship time, uh, where it's an organic gifts based way of connecting about, about Jesus that goes beyond anything you can experience in a church service and uh, that really truly edifies and builds up. Those are really, the, I think, the keys. Yeah, yeah. It's getting to real relationship. And I loved what you said about the body and balance. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of – it's funny how over the years – so my last – in my own journey, Jason um, – just the last year and a half I've been to therapy over my, my issues with ADHD and mania, which basically, you know, they're sitting me down and going, basically what this is, this is depression turned inside out. Yeah. What you got going on? So unpacking a lot of this stuff with my therapist and realizing the body, um, mindfulness balance, like you were talking about. And it's funny how a lot of this stuff has been, it's Eastern, right? And the church is scared of it because it sounds so Eastern. Yeah. But one of the things I've been geeking out on is, is some of the Eastern mystics. Like you go to the really early church fathers. Yeah. I had a friend of mine who pointed out, and it was funny to me, but he goes, my friend John, he goes, he's, he's a Eastern Orthodox. He goes, you realize, Russ, that Christianity is an Eastern religion, right? Yeah. Because you know, all of that kind of mindfulness stuff and yeah. body work, you mm-hmm. know, like you're talking about yeah. and being at peace with yourself and yeah. praying without words even. Right. Like Miss Lewis would talk about when I'm praying the best, I'm, I'm just in the presence of God without right. words, without a, you know, scripture yeah. to repeat or memorize. It's just... Yeah being present right right, right. So, so yeah. yeah my friend my friend seth taylor he has a book that uh, my pilgrimage he wrote a book called feels like redemption and uh, he goes into the stuff you're talking about as well this very cool this mindfulness you know what yeah. and, and, he, and he talks about that that it's it's yeah. scary for some christians isn't it to, yeah. to it sounds eastern and some folks are so I don't know if that's the, the church trying to brand itself and scare us into right. not wandering off the path or you're going off amongst the sheep of the, right? I mean, there, but there's that stuff. The reason why therapists talk about it is because it works. It slows down right. our mind. Our body is very connected with this. It's right. not all in our head, is it, Jason? Right, absolutely. And I talk a lot about that um, in one of these. Um, so this is, the DVD series I was telling you about. So biblical sexuality Mm. and the 21st century. And so it's really trying to get people to understand, you know, what is God's model for sexuality beyond just male, female, but why did he even give us a body? And then how can we be sensitive to people who are suffering in those places? And so, you know, if you look at the topics on the back, you know, it kind of covers 
a wide range of things. I don't know how well you can see that, but yeah, yeah. I'll send you a copy and you know, you can check it out. It comes with like a companion guide and all that kind of stuff, but it's on our website, healingforthesoul.org. If people want to check that out. All right, cool. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. And, uh, any other ways that folks could get connected to you? Well, you know, you can certainly follow us on Twitter if you're in that kind of thing. It's healing the number four, the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, or you, we do have a Facebook page. So just look up healing for the soul, counseling and coaching on Facebook. Okay. Like a group kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. All right, Jason. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. And, Thank you. Uh, and you're welcome. It's just a, a joy and a pleasure and always great to connect with another Washingtonian. <laughs> That's right. Go Seahawks, right? Hey. Yeah. Thanks, don't, don't hold us against that against us. Other right. Out there, right? Yeah, right. Or as my, my friends in Africa say, that's not real football. Yes, this is true. <laughs> All right, Jason. Later, man. Okay, brother. We'll see ya.